now, say now. You're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here at the Momentum Studios. Myself, Spencer Shea. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot to talk about today. Hey, it's today. a beautiful day in the city, isn't it? It's a that it is. They get the neighborhood. That it is. It is a beautiful day in the city. It's still cold, but it looks good, at least. The aesthetic is nice. The aesthetic is nice. Um, it's not as cold as it's been, but... It's still cold for this California boy here, so uh, I, I, I prefer it to warm up a little bit before I call it beautiful, but I will say the aesthetic is nice. The bite is Beauty awesome. is on the inside, Just you know? Around, We're not Portland. warm enough look to be around, considered Portland. beautiful, This baby. is nice. No. <laughs> Just look around, Portland. This is what nice looks like. Right? Don't look at... Don't the look aesthetic. at the roster. Don't look at the roster and look for sunshine. The right? aesthetic Just... is nice. Aesthetic and beauty aren't the same. Aesthetic, sure. aesthetic can add to beauty or it can enhance beauty, but I don't think they're the same. Well, I mean, look, I think Portland is at its heart a gritty sort of not necessarily so pretty of a city. That's you got to well, find the beauty in it. I think. I mean, it's a it, pretty state. That's for yeah, sure. It's a pretty it's a state. Very pretty state. Great. Portland's a pretty city though. But yeah, when you get into the the interior of it, you know, yeah, it can get it can get gritty for sure. That's gonna be my rap name. It pretty can, city. It, it can get gritty <laughs> for sure. Um, real quick, I want to bang through wind shares because. We got a lot to talk about. So, starting off tomorrow night or tonight, as you listen to this podcast, Friday night, February 10th, Spencer and I will be on the call at Pacific University for the win, the men's and women's games. We're starting with the women's game at 6 p.m. and the men's game at 8 p.m. They will both respectively be playing against Willamette University from out of Salem, and it will be hosted right in Forest Grove. We'll be on the call. Tune in on GoBoxers.com. There's that. Also, I'll be on the ones and the twos this weekend, starting Friday night after the game. I'm headed straight downtown. I'll be at Tube for 11 p.m. set. So if you're one of those late-night folks, come out, enjoy the vibes. Tube is a super dope venue. I celebrated my birthday there. I go there pretty often. I actually did a pop-up set there last week, and it was really fun. It's always a good time. It's downtown, so always people circulating through there. Um, pull up. I'll be there. And then on Saturday night, the 11th, I will be at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge. So you can pull up there as well. Also, on Tuesday night, which is Valentine's night, I will be at Export Rooftop Bar and Lounge again. So Saturday, I'll be there from 9 p.m. to midnight. On Tuesday, I'll be there for a special R&B set. It'll be kind of like a Lovers and Friends set. Um, from 8 p.m. until 11 p.m. on the rooftop downtown Portland. So if you need something to do with some lovers and some friends, or if it's not plural, that's okay too. Come on down or come on up, I should say, to the 16th floor. But if it is at plural, the Porter Hotel, if it is plural, that's cool. Bring yeah, all your yeah. I'm not discriminating Bring either all way. All seven of your girlfriends. I, I'm not discriminating either way. If it's plural, that's cool. If it's singular, that's cool as well. Um, but it'll be a good vibe, of course. And I'm excited because a lot of y'all may not know that I'm kind of an R&B junkie. I love R&B music. It's my favorite genre of music. I mean, hip hop. I, I consume a lot especially in the spaces that I kind of am in more. And even obviously as a DJ, I definitely play more hip hop than R&B because I usually DJ in the nightlife. People want to get up. People want to dance. People aren't necessarily in chill R&B mode. And I DJ on weekends primarily as well. So this being that it's a weekday, 
you will have people that'll be in more of a chill mode. And from 8 p.m. to 11 p.m., I'll have all the chill vibes for you. But it will be vibes nonetheless. So I'm excited to be able to do an R&B set. I'll be working on it a bit this weekend. I've been kind of working on it as well. And I've told y'all before, like, I practice DJing, but I don't particularly, like, work on new sets. As I'm practicing, I may discover new mixes because I have such a huge library of music, I like play around with, you know, different songs, mixing in different records together. And I might come across some gems and I'll try to remember that. But I don't come into any venue with a preset set list because I, I like to read the room. So I like to make sure I have a significant library of music to where I can be able to switch gears and directions depending upon what the room calls for rather than what I call for because I want y'all to be the ones to come out and have a good time. So that is that for wind shares. Now, a lot to get to. We got trade deadline shenanigans. We got LeBron James breaking the scoring record, amongst other things. But we're going to start with the W, that is WNBA and the push that is be- being made for a WNBA team to land here in Portland. Uh, we've been obviously talking about this for a long time coming, and Spencer and I had the pleasure earlier this week to go to the roundtable discussion that was held at the Sports Bra as Kathy Engelbert, the WNBA commissioner, came into town via invitation from United States Senator, a senior senator, of Oregon, Ron Wyden. Um, there were Blazers execs. There was Dorns execs. There were Ducks and Beavers head women's basketball coaches and p- current players. Um, there were obviously ex-WNBA players. We've got some ex-WNBA players that currently work for the Trailblazers right now. Um, and a current Dur- and WNBA, WNBA player players. that is interning with the Trailblazers right now. It was former Trailblazer players as well. It was uh, a community team, Mar- Maurice Lucas's team was there um it it was the right people in the building and obviously there was press and media spencer and i were privy to be at this private roundtable discussion and i'm gonna pass the ball to spencer first because you look like you had a grand old time not saying that i didn't but it was interesting for me to be able to see you in that space and just sort of see the excitement that came along with obviously not just the idea of the WNBA coming to Portland, but it's not just you. Everybody was excited to be in that space. The vibe was right. Yeah, You know, everybody was having a good time. It wasn't a quick in and out press conference. People hung out people after. It. it was a kick it, if you will, yeah, after the discussion. It. it was just an all around good vibe. But I'm passing it to you early here, Spencer. What is your takeaway as far as the progress that has been made and the steps that are being taken to ultimately bring a WNBA team to Portland after having been and attended that roundtable conversation. Yeah, well, okay, so first off, it was amazing, and obviously thank you, Ron and Hank and everybody that, you know what I'm saying, allowed us to be in there and kick it because that was very fun. And I think that, I mean, just just off of a purely we're having like a low-key party, it's good to have people that are excited about what the party's for in there anyway. Yes. So, and we and you're right. We certainly were. But I think initially the way the way it was framed is that we were all sort of low-key petitioning to Kathy. Everyone's sort of saying their story and how they would support the organization and, and and that's all great. You know, that's all good and well. I think having that sort of fellowship 
of people that are invested in a myriad of ways is a good thing just for physically building out the 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 infrastructure. That's the thing that she want I mean that you want to see, right? Yeah. But it wasn't it didn't feel like a oh, this might be, this is like a taking a look at, we might get a Portland team. This was like a coronation. It was like, yes, we're, you guys are going to be a part of the initial expansion that I'm most certain I, Kathy Engelbert, am most certainly, you know, functioning toward. And, yeah. And we're here to just kind of, all right, here's where all our ducks are. And then we'll, you know what I'm saying, we'll go forward from there. And I want you to speak to sort of what you just mentioned there in regards to WNBA expansion and Kathy Engelbert essentially functioning to make that happen. Um, because it seemed to me that Kathy Engelbert really, really, really wants WNBA expansion to be a part of her legacy in particular, almost as if it's a priority. It didn't necessarily feel like I'm here to have the conversation because it's my job to do so. And there's enough concern raised, not concern, but there's been enough noise made by this particular community about wanting to make that happen from grassroots levels to NBA team support, all the way up to United States Senator support and, and, and the what women's sports mean here in this particular state, in the city of Portland. You had Thorne's execs there as well. It didn't feel like she was forced to come to Portland because it's her job to do so and to at least hear people out when enough noise is made about any particular subject regarding the WNBA League. But for me, it seemed as if, like, this is what I want my legacy to be as a WNBA commissioner to leave the game and to grow the game essentially beyond what it is when I came in to become the commission. I mean, I think that anybody would want to do that, especially after the aces seeing what's going on, the star quality NILs. We, we know the story. You know what I'm saying? We know the big picture, but right. here's the thing about Kathy Engelbert. She's 58 years old. And so as far as the CEO is concerned, she's so young in the CEO game. She's on the road. She, you know what I'm saying? She's really hitting it. She just got off of her first in a CEO with a company that she was with for like most of her career. You know what I'm saying? Her formative career. Yeah. And then she was the CEO for a short period of time. Now she's the WNBA. You know you want to make a splash. But she is looking at it, and, and she's made little mentions of it. Like she's talked about how, you know, throwing out like, well, people don't think about the money in terms of chartering. We have to charter players. And so adding new teams, that's $25 million a year for a season or something like that. So – just getting, trying to get people to think about it. But the fact is, is that you got to put a bunch of money in a pot. So that's what she's out doing. Yeah. You got to gather money. People need to cut checks for her and then she can expand the team and then it will the uh, hopefully, or yeah, the, the league. And then hopefully it will be able to generate enough revenue to get past that tipping point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you can, you know, hopefully then the pleas of the Kelsey plums and the, and the, and the players associations abound, you know, saying, oh, we want to get a, a higher percentage of the revenue generated, then there's a just, you know what I'm saying? Then we're talking about Kathy Engelberg say, I can give you that because we're making money. But people got to cut the check first. Yeah. But outside of that, she was cool as hell. She was kicking it. Everyone was talking to her. Me and her ended up chopping it up just about Brianna Stewart going to uh, New York. Yeah. <laughs> we were just bugging on that. Yeah. And it was just very, like, and everyone that was there was just, was like all right it was it really felt like all right cool like we're, we're all meeting each other 
And I met like her her VP of communications that that works with Kathy Dina Skoka. She's great. Had some nice chat with her. We communicated, and so many people. Martel Webster, like everyone was just. You felt that Fred people, Jones. Fred it was, Jones. Yeah. I mean, it was just, and people were just like, "Cool, what do we do next?" Yeah, you know? that yeah. was like, "Okay, how can we make this like go faster and go next?" For sure. And so that's really where where it was. Like I said, it felt like a coronation, like a gathering of a fellowship of people that are going to really rock with getting a team. Yeah. And when that team comes, it's probably going to come off the back of like a big expansion. A few teams in the mix where she can make all the dollars make sense. Yeah. And Portland will be a part of that. That's why you saw the Joe Cronins and the Dwayne Haskins in there saying, well, Portland isn't one of the best teams in the league, but we punch above our weight in terms of, you know, metrics, profitability. Like we we can generate the money at least fit, it'll make sense on, you know what I'm saying, on yeah. paper. We're not talking about knocking it out of the park numbers necessarily. Yeah, but but, but we punch above our have, weight. Yeah, and that's how you have to grow it, and that's yeah. why you had the Mo Lucas Middle School Girls team in there. And and and, and to me, that's the biggest thing. I think yeah. you talked about adding to her legacy, you know, like being able to do it with a in a space where there's grassroots to grow women's sports way beyond just the professional level. That's adding to a legacy that's like totally untouchable. For sure. And, and, so, and you will indeed do that if you expand that league in particular into right. more markets. Because I think that legacy is missed out upon having that particular league there, there that young girls can't necessarily – or having that league that isn't there for most markets, but for the ones that do have that league in that market, in their particular markets, having young girls being able to relate and connect and look up to – these WNBA players that are in their communities engaging and involved in their communities. And nobody really does that better than the WNBA anyway, even right. in just the 12 markets that it exists they are in the right cutting now. edge of like social, you know, influence and activism. Absolutely. In, uh, in, in any sport, in, in my opinion, in the country. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So it's like to have them be able to be in their, in your own community and the way that they engage in community at large I mean, it makes nothing but sense to me. But I do think ultimately it does come down to dollars and cents, and I think we got yeah. that. Um, there were people in you the gotta room. You got to get a bunch of teams in the mix for there it to make people money in the room she's trying who, to make a big splash. Yeah, yeah. There are people in the room that I, that I think would be behind an ownership group for this WNBA yeah. team and that everybody kind of have an idea, has an idea of as well. Um, but it was even funny because – uh, Taya Hansen, she currently plays for the Ducks. She was one of the panelists there, yeah. and she got to speak out. And, you know, obviously she spoke just from her experience living in Oregon, growing up in Canada, um, and this is during the actual roundtable discussion, and just what Oregon sports and Oregon's women's basketball has meant to her, the rivalry that is the Ducks and the Beavers, and just how much support she's been able to get here playing for a prestigious university like the U of O. But after kind of the panel discussion was over and the press, you know, time for press to ask questions and all of that was over, the presser, if you will, was over with, everybody just still kind of stuck around, stuck around and hung out until basically it was time for most of the people in the room to go to the Blazers game. Right. But, you know, Ty was having a conversation and we're talking to Commissioner Engelbert and Ty also was like, hey, well, you know, I am a Canadian as well. It was like a side conversation. I am from Canada as well. Toronto is another market you should consider expanding into as well. And there have been like talks in the past of Drake wanting to own a WNBA team in Toronto and 
I think Drake certainly has the capital to be able to do so if he wants. But uh, Kathy Engelbert straight up basically told her, well, Drake needs to cut the check. There you go. Because that's what's going to get the results done in regards to making this expansion happen. good, bro. (laughs) Like, excuse me. But it was just interesting. You know, you obviously... Show me the money. You obviously can say that in more of a, like, PC way during an actual roundtable discussion or when you're talking to the media and the press and so on and so forth. But in sort of the side conversation, she's like, yo, man, Drake needs to cut the check. Run it. (laughs) (laughs) Like the answer for Drake to be able to own this team in Toronto is for Drake to cut the check, period. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the answer. For me, I'm just like, cool. The the thing that's going to come out of this regardless is the growth of women's basketball and sports at large in the state of Oregon. And I'm all good with that because I happen to be, you know, interested in that. You know, so it's all good for me. I love watching that stuff. And so, you know, I'm just excited to see what's next, you know, just try to keep it attached to the hip. And we're just going to keep rocking with it. For sure. I I do want to, before we get into all the messiness that has happened today with trade deadlines and even kind of some of the messiness surrounding LeBron James uh, surpassing the scoring with the NBA all-time scoring record. Um, I'm going to read Senator Wyden had an opinion piece that he wrote in the Portland Tribune, and I'm just going to read it. This week, Portland and our entire state came together to assemble of dream, uh, uh, to assemble a dream team of Oregon's women's sports luminaries at local bar, the Sports Bra, to show WNBA Commissioner Kathy Engelbert that Portland is ready to get in the game and make the winning shot for a WNBA team. With an all-star panel of former WNBA stars, the president of the Portland Thorns, coaches, and current basketball stars for the University of Ducks, University of Oregon Ducks and the Oregon State Beavers, top execs from the Trailblazers and the Oregon School Activities Association, along with a crowd of young women athletes with homemade signs reading a women's places on the court, play like a girl, the future is female, the evidence was overwhelming, Rip City is poised to become a WNBA city. Looking around the room, I saw in the smiling faces of the young women athletes there with their families, coaches, and supporters, that they know full well they are walking in the footsteps trod long ago. And these young athletes are the direct result of strong representation of women in professional sports and would benefit from having new heroes locally playing for a WNBA team in their home state. One sign read, Title IX, 50 years of fair play, and I am reminded that 50-plus years ago, one simple sentence changed the trajectory of our nation's athletics. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any education, program, or activity. Because of Title IX, generations of young women can participate in sports and that build confidence, create long life, uh, lifelong bonds amongst teammates, and often go hand-in-hand with success in the classroom. I was honored to co-host Commissioner Engelbert's visit with Jenny Nguyen, the owner of the C- owner and CEO of the Sports Bra, a bar devoted to celebrating and watching women's sports. 
There's no gathering space like this, but I'm predicting one day that many others will learn from this latest Oregon first and follow the trail Jenny has blazed right here in Portland on Northeast Broadway. I was thrilled Commissioner Engelbert visited Portland so she could see and hear how our entire state has proven to be an epicenter for women's sports. From the off-the-charts attendance numbers at Thorns matches to the huge crowds that flock to women's college basketball games across the state, there's no doubt a WNBA team would be a slam dunk success in the Moda Center, and I'm thrilled. I'm all in to be on the team working to make that happen. Uh, there we go. Yeah, like I said, it's going to go down, and I can't wait because I'm going to be in there Losing my mind, trying to get courtside seats. I'm trying to get season tickets. Ultimately, I, I would, dude, I would love to call games for the WNBA. That would be like ideal for me. Yeah, that would be fine. Cause and I would too. Because you're getting in on the ground level of something outside of all that. You know what I mean? Like you can just tell if you when you get into it, when you get into the minutiae of women's sports, especially in this state, you can just you look around and you feel it. You're like, yeah. yo, something's big is coming. Absolutely. And Absolutely. that's what's so exciting about it, bro. Now that would be an ideal job to be able to call WNBA games here in this market. I know so I know there's tight. probably a long list of women that are in line to of do course, so as well. Course. And I'm not hating or knocking y'all, but as somebody you know as both of us, Spencer and I here, that do call women's basketball games today and have been for years now, you know, obviously calling the games for uh, women's basketball over at Pacific University, like, we don't treat that any different than we treat men's basketball games, especially on the call. Yes, we do. Because we, like we call both games. Yeah, yeah, to be honest. <laughs> to be quite yes, we honest. Do. We do yeah. treat it differently. I much prefer to yeah, watch women to be honest, every but time. For sure, definitely. But, like, we don't treat them less than. We obviously, right. like you said, in some cases, treat them better than the men's teams that we call right there at Pacific University yeah. as well. Um, and so, you know, it's just something that we love to do and we're all in. To try yeah, to make I, it happen. I would happen put and headphones anywhere up here. and down that scorer's table to be a part of that broadcast, no matter where I sat. You know what I'm saying? Like, For sure. I would do it, man. For sure. Because that would be the best. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, still pushing to make it happen, and we will, we will follow the continued push to make that happen. All right, now, I want to start with LeBron James. We'll get in the trade deadline shenanigans because LeBron there is James. indeed that. But I think it would be LeBron sort of disrespectful James. for us to not start with LeBron James over that and the significant record that he broke. You know, he's the all-time NBA scoring leader now. He surpassed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar a couple of nights ago. And for us in particular on this podcast, I wanted to sort of cover that because, for one, obviously, y'all know what it means for us when it comes to hoops and basketball, but also – Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is somebody who is of a lot of significance when it comes to not only what he's able to do and contribute on the basketball court, but what it is that he does and stands for off of the court as well. I think the same obviously can be said for LeBron James. Um, LeBron has obviously been a dynamite basketball player, but at the same time has upheld the fight for justice here in the United States of America. Um regardless of what you think in his fight or approach is taking during his fight for justice, I think it's absolutely courageous that a LeBron James and obviously Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as well are two of our athletes that have used the platform that they've earned via being two of the greatest basketball players to ever grace the NBA and have made sure 
to stand up for what it is they believe in for for rights of people and for us to just have a more just society. So, you know, the fact that LeBron was able to do that that night is absolutely incredible, and we want to start off with congratulations there. Now, with that said, part of the reason I want to start with this particular subject over even trade deadline stuff, which is hot off the press right now, is because I don't want to make this about LeBron's legacy in comparison to anybody else's legacy, whether that be is LeBron the greatest player of all time, whether that be is LeBron the greatest scorer of all time, because the fact is nobody scored more than him. And you can always hold on to that. And that just is what it is at this point. But with the significance that Kareem and LeBron have to what we're into at this podcast, the intersectional space of sports and politics, the optics didn't particularly look great to me, at least. Maybe you can think you can say otherwise if you feel otherwise, but it didn't look particularly great to me from an optics standpoint that two people that mean so much to this intersection of sports and social justice, it didn't look like and we knew this partially, obviously, because it's kind of been said, but it didn't look like any kind of relationship or lack thereof that they had was mended prior to LeBron actually breaking this record. If you just watched on TV, like it didn't seem like LeBron showed a lot of love to Kareem. For some, some would say Kareem didn't look or seem too excited that LeBron broke his record. And it almost felt like they were forced to have to interact with each other because of the record being broken more so than because them being able to like try and attempt to build a relationship with each other based on not only what they've been able to both do on the floor, but also off the floor as well. So for me, I want to kind of speak more to that than I want to about what this means for LeBron as a basketball player, because those two are far too important for us. Now, Spencer, you saw and I saw, obviously, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's a writer, which we all know as well, he wrote an article about what he thinks about LeBron breaking the NBA scoring record. And I'm not going to read through that article the same way that I just did Senator Wyden's article, but I do want to hit on some of the main talking points that Kareem hit on because I do think it's important for us to kind of talk about the dynamics of this relationship and to talk about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and where he currently stands today because I don't think we need to have it be this like generational tension, if you will, because these two come from entirely different generations and are respected for some of the same reasons, but also different reasons as well, due to the disconnect of the generations that they came up in in regards to just age difference, first and foremost, from a social level, but also the eras that they came up in in regards to where things were socially during the time that they were playing the sport of basketball. And so one of the talking points um, that Kareem Abdul wanted, Abdul-Jabbar wanted to acknowledge was Magic Johnson because earlier in the year when the media started asking LeBron up questions about breaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record and how that was on the horizon, LeBron essentially, and I'm, and I'm just paraphrasing here, but he essentially came out and said that me and Kareem don't have a relationship and that is what it is. Now, Magic then later went on to a podcast and essentially said that he didn't think Kareem would be happy 
about LeBron James breaking his record first and foremost, and second of all, breaking his record in a Laker uniform. And Kareem basically acknowledged that Magic Johnson got that absolutely wrong. And he basically said, you know, Magic is a lifelong friend of mine, a brother. I love Magic. We've, we've played together. We've accomplished a lot together, so on and so forth. And maybe if this was 10 years after my playing career, Magic might be kind of right because Magic does know the, comp- the type of competitor that I was from us being teammates. But here 34 years later, like, I, I, I don't think that way. And I quite frankly, not that I don't care about my basketball legacy because I do, but it doesn't take precedence in my life where I am currently today at 75 years old as it may have back when me and Magic were playing ball 40-some-odd years ago and maybe even 10 years, a decade or so after that when you don't feel that far removed from playing the game. Um, So I think it was dope that Kareem acknowledged that, but I don't think – Even though he said that Magic got it wrong, I don't think Magic got it all the way wrong. I do think Kareem wanted Magic to acknowledge his growth. And that's where, as humans, even at 75 years old, we still have more growing to do. Because I feel that Kareem, by the age of 75, should maybe have a little bit better of an understanding of his legacy and what it means to the WNBA and try to connect that to the younger, newer generations. And he's still kind of, to me, fixated in a lot of his old ways, which is also something he acknowledged in this article as to why he and LeBron James don't have a relationship. So although he kind of called out Magic and said Magic got it wrong, and for a lot of the stuff that he had in this article, he just talked about his age and where he is now as a 75-year-old. I do believe that there's still some lacking of acknowledgement, not lacking of acknowledgement because he acknowledges as well, but I do think that he is still growing. And I think this particular moment is giving him a far better understanding of his legacy and his connection to the league and these generations that have come after him that he kind of has gotten out of the way for for his own. I don't want to say selfish reasons as if it has a negative connotation, but yes, indeed, his own selfish reasons, whether it be. He just likes to be with family. He just likes to read, write, and, you know, be an activist. Whatever the case may be, I do feel like he selfishly kind of detached himself from these younger generational players, and I don't think that's fair to them to not have the access of somebody like a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that he just hasn't quite given him. Again, I don't want to say that from a negative stance as if he's negative for that, but I do think it's just a reality. (laughs) Here And I think Kareem kind of acknowledged that as well. So I understand where he feel Magic may have got it wrong, but I don't feel Magic was all the way wrong, even though Kareem basically called him out saying so. Yeah, I mean, look, firstly, I'm going to say I don't know what it's like to be an old man. No. (laughs) So I don't know what it's like to have that progression of wisdom and perspective in the world. I hope that I do get to that point in my life, but today I don't have that. You know what I'm saying? But what I can speculate on, I guess, is that, you know, Kareem, I, you're definitely pissed that somebody broke your record, just th- that baseline to, to a certain extent. You always will be because you're an ultimate competitor 
and that never leaves your body. So yeah. number one, there's that. Even if you channel it differently. Yeah, and, and I think And I think he is doing that. Well, here's the thing. This is what I could potentially see is that Kareem Abdul Jabbar and his track record for especially social justice and activism is deep, deep, deep. And he I I, I feel like the idea that old people have that they're like, oh, young kids aren't doing things the same way that we used to, and that's wrong. I think that there's a level of bitterness there where it's like, damn, you know, I did all this work that didn't that didn't broker me a billion dollars. All it did was is just give you little shits the opportunity to go make a billion dollars. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like yeah. as a human being, I can understand that being like, yeah, I would definitely feel that. You know what I'm saying? From yeah. time and again. For sure. You know what I mean? For sure. And and uh, I, I thought it was interesting about what you said about, you know, him selfishly going away from the connection. It's like, you know, he mentioned, well, there is there's a, such, a, there's such a chasm there between our age. Why would LeBron want to hang out with me? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and I, yeah, that's understandable. But I feel like the, the, the value is through the legacy for Kareem. To be like, I can use my legacy and what it means and my access to whatever to positively influence the social justice aspect of the way the league is today. Yeah. And through LeBron James, I would, I, I, again, if this is just me, I would probably feel like, damn, like if I would have just rocked with LeBron over time, I probably could have. Now here we are. You look up. It's 20 years later. LeBron James just shattered your scoring record. With gas in the and tank. And there's no relationship. And there's there. no relationship. And look at all of the work that LeBron James has done. Yeah, during that 20 years. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, you know, and, it, and that it all happens in a Laker uniform is so, you know, it's so poetic because it's like yeah. you think about like, well, okay, now it's cool. They just did this. Maybe we're talk, having a conversation and it can, you know, but time is fleeting. We don't know. You don't know if a guy's going to be here tomorrow, right? And I think that that's—I sure. think that that's probably weighing heavy on the man. I think it right is now. too. I think it is too. And and I think you know, you know, you mentioned like because I want to get to that. He basically had a, another subsection in this article, and it was basically titled, you know, why LeBron and I don't have a relationship. And the main reason that he felt is simply because of age difference, and. That's interesting because for me in particular, right, I had a coach, Steve Coach Miglio. He was my head coach when I was at Diablo Valley College. And when I played for him, he was like in his mid-50s. I'm obviously, you know, 18, 19 years old, playing for the man. Whippersnapper. So so (laughs) there was definitely like a two-times-over generation gap between my head coach and I. And – One thing that he was pretty fixated on is that him being in his 50s and us being in our late teens and early 20s, that he wanted to establish and make sure that we didn't see each other as friends. And obviously you hear often about players, coaches. Well, he was the exact opposite of of a player's coach, and he stood on that. And his biggest reason, which is kind of simply put, was that there's such a generation gap between you all and I that like something is either socially wrong with me or something is socially wrong with y'all. If you and I are friends here now, Kareem kind of alluded to that same frame of thinking by saying that 
the main reason that he never formed a, bron- a, a bond with LeBron. And he does acknowledge that it's his, it's his fault, but it's basically simply the age difference. While, yes, I do think that that is sort of his generation's mind frame of thinking, and that was just sort of the way that they were raised, and that's A-OK. But there's still a connection there between you and what it is that you love that is synonymous. So from me and Coach Steve Coach Amiglio, he loved the game of basketball, and even at that age, he loved changing the lives and being able to help impact the lives of young men like myself. And I think the connection that brought us where, regardless if we're friends or not, regardless of how we feel about each other, we are in the same room or in the same gym because we have a particular love for this game. And I do think that Kareem has kind of went away from his love for this game. And I do think that LeBron breaking this record, him being able to be in the building, even conversations that he was able to have with Shaq after the game when he did the interview with the TNT crew, like there was some, you know, some rumored tension there as well. He said, I only ever wanted to impress you, sir. I only, Shaq told him, I only ever wanted to impress you, which means Kareem has been pretty hard to impress. And I think the same case goes for LeBron James and what it is that he's done now. Has Kareem written articles saying otherwise that he's been impressed by LeBron and what he stands for? Yes, that's all out there. And I'm not saying Kareem doesn't have that. But, but, there is ways that you can reach out That's, and there is channels that you can use to reach out directly to somebody like a LeBron James or somebody like a Shaq who is a part of the same fraternity as you are, which is the basketball fraternity right. to, to like, that's not enough of excuse that you wrote an article as to why you and LeBron don't have particular relationships. And again, he took some accountability for that. But I also think being in that moment and, and having sort of, this lack of relationship that he has with LeBron hover over the beauty of what LeBron would it was able to do and accomplish on the shoulders of him. I think that got to Kareem a little bit, man. And he wanted, he wanted to be accountable and acknowledge like the age difference. Yes, that- it's a thing, but it's not enough as to why I didn't reach back to try to help it's, this young man out and have more impact and influence on this young man. I mean, it's. I think it's just the nature of man in some ways that it's like people, older generations don't value younger generations. They just don't. They see themselves as superior. But I feel like with the fact that we live in the way that the world is today with like social media and, and just the interconnectivity of like the world down to business and everything. It's all really like in so many ways leveled out. We're all having the same experience. So you have to be, have some connectivity with somebody. You have more avenues for connectivity with somebody, even if you're 18 years old as you are 75, because you'll go, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh, this banking app is trash or what? You know what I'm saying? So you have that relationship, but to have the mentality of like, well, we can't be friends because I'm older than you. I don't think is a is a a great way to live. I don't either. And you know? and 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 and, I I, and it's like and I'm not trying to compare LeBron James to the man's family, but in this same article when you basically called out Magic Johnson, you 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 made something to the mention of if I had the chance to hold this record for 39 more years or 
be able to spend one more night with my grandchildren, I'd be on the ground playing with Legos and eating Crustables. And it's like, yes, I understand that's family. And there is there is a sacred element to that, that I'm not like trying to compare your family to LeBron James and just the game of basketball. But I do think that that mentality as sort of an OG, I think he should have kind of honed in on that as well. He could have still made his family the priority over basketball. Nobody's saying that. But to not have a relationship with LeBron James at all because of an age difference, again, when you both are come and meet in an avenue that you both love, to me, that kind of like contradicted what it was that he was saying about LeBron James because you were able to speak so much and so highly of your three grandchildren and how much you love them. And it's even more of an age difference between you and them. So to me, it's just not a good enough excuse. And I'm not saying that it's not legitimate and it's not the truth because, again, I'm aware that people from that generation can think that way. But I do think that they should be able and be more willing to be challenged to understand that, not to solely think that way because you can have an influence and an impact. And again, I think that way of my coach. I think, yeah, we shouldn't be friends. You know, I, I like we don't really have nothing in common in that regard. But the fact that you can still recognize that the position that you're in can impact and affect me positively in the position I'm in as a young junior college basketball player. I think that's what Kareem missed here with LeBron James is that the position that you're in as one of the pillars of basketball and social justice on and off the floor and the intersection of it, like you should want to pour into a young guy like a LeBron James. And I still kind of struggle to figure out why. And if it's really I mean, because he just doesn't love the game of basketball look, anymore, look, like I, that's you know, like what turns you off? Like something traumatic bro, had to happen dog, it's to bro. turn you off from the game of basketball that much to not be able to recognize that you can't pour into these young athletes anymore. I just know that if I worked at a place for a really long time and I wasn't getting paid a lot of money and then as soon as I leave, everybody starts getting paid, I'd be pretty pissed too. And if I, if it was me, bro, if I was running the play, because clearly the man, I, I'm not trying to talk about people, but like, yeah. but the guy has this, that sweet ass jacket on. Yeah, Kareem. He, he and promoted then, that and he at the end of the article too. And it's like, yeah, you know, if I'm LeBron, I go, how all 500 of your jackets? I'm a buy up, and we'll do a fundraiser, and we'll hand them out, and then we'll get you paid more, and then we can start this, you know, joint foundation type. Do something, you know what I'm saying? If you really want to, don't talk about it, be about it. It's something so simple, and I really do believe that, like, if you know, like with the NBA, you guys are doing fine in the money department. Start hooking up some of these old cats with some with some. Cash, yeah, and then turn around and cash in on their wisdom. You yeah, know what I'm saying, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and look, you already got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar getting trotted out in his house shoes and sweatpants and yet a Letterman jacket, drinking his prune juice. Like the man's already getting pulled out of his house. If you're already doing that, you might as well just keep pulling him out and just stuffing money in his pockets. Yeah, for sure. All the Legos his grandkids want to play with. All the Uncrustables you can eat. But again, I think you know there's a disconnect Just let there. the money do the it, talking. It, yeah, but it's hard for me to believe that those opportunities haven't come a, come Kareem's way. And, and he probably and said I no think, a bunch. And I think theoretically... He's probably like, no, that sounds dumb. I, I, think theoretically that has, I think theoretically that has more to do with his activism than it does 
the capitalism of the sport and the growth and the economics of the sport. I do believe we don't acknowledge enough how hard of work being an activist is and how much it can turn you off to. And this is coming from somebody at a much younger age than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that works in that particular space. Activism is tough shit. And why, and, and just as important as I think it is for us to tar- start talking about pouring into ex-players, I think as activists, especially younger activists who are getting much different monetary opportunities than some of the pillars are, there needs to be more conversations about unionization of activism as well. And I think we don't have enough of that. And I think there are traumas and triggers that comes along with standing on the front lines on some of the deepest, darkest, toughest discussions that we don't discuss enough. So I think more so Kareem's activism has turned him off from things that he actually loves just because the significance and the importance of, you know, what the work that we do as activists. And I tell people all the time, like a part of my balance is by day, Yeah, I'm in the trenches. I'm seeing some of the most rigorous things that you can see on these streets, working with our most vulnerable neighbors, neighbors being that they're unhoused. I see stuff that I can guarantee what I get exposed to day in and day out. Majority of you all don't. But for me personally, what keeps a balance is once I'm done doing that work, I turn it off and I go do the things that I actually love. I go DJ. I go call sports games. I go be with the fam. I go be with my friends who who have no part in any of the activism work that I do or don't even do any activist type work. And I think that Kareem lost the importance of balance because he got so entrenched in the work of being an activist and it turned him off from things that one, he is, he's created a, such a rich legacy in, which is basketball in particular in this case, and maybe so much more that he has to internally figure out how do I balance it all although I'm making activism the priority when it comes to my life's work and my life's legacy, ultimately. I think that's a conversation that's not being had enough, and I don't think he's particularly jealous. And I think he acknowledged several times in this article that he's not jealous about LeBron. He's used He used examples of money that he's not jealous LeBron has more than he had. But I do think he acknowledged his life's work enough and the legacy that he wants to have in that particular work, which is more so activism and writing and reading, which all tie into his activist work, that he put too far aside his basketball legacy and the love that he once had for it. And I think he's got to get back in tune with that a little bit to help be able to balance out how to have some of these relationships that I think, quite frankly, are very important. So that's what I think the case is with him. And the reason why I also say that is because going into the next section section of his article, he said that basically, I'm glad why or it was the the section the subtitle of the section was why i'm happy that lebron broke my record and you want to know that a lot of the reason why he was happy that lebron broke his record because of the activism work that lebron does the connectivity there and the fact that lebron has the courage and he does use his platform as a basketball player to advocate on a lot of these hard hitting issues which is saying 
there might be players that he think plays the game far more beautiful than LeBron. I think he's happier that somebody like a LeBron James broke his record more so than that of a Michael Jordan. Why? Because Michael Jordan didn't take on activist work in his role as the face of the NBA and who ultimately became who's deemed to a lot of people the greatest player of all time. I think Kareem is happier that it was LeBron, not because of what LeBron does on the court per se, but because of what LeBron does off the court, that it was LeBron that broke his record. So that's why tying that back to the activism piece and why I think he allowed that to kind of disconnect him from other things is for that reason itself. I think he's more proud that LeBron was the one that broke his record, not because of how great of a player LeBron is, but because LeBron had to occur, had the courage to step up and be an activist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I think it, it was a very well-written piece, um, and it was a very interesting piece in itself. But what I sort of took away from somebody who highly indulges in these spaces of sports and activism, if you will, is Kareem kind of lost the balance. And I don't want to say he took himself too seriously as an activist because it is serious work. So that's the wrong way of saying it. But I do think he neglected some of his other passions and hobbies, if you will, for activism because that was more serious work than him being able to just have a killer hook shot. And being able to fall in love with the fact that he had a killer hook shot. That's hit me right now, bro. Like, that's my takeaway from this article, bro. That's hit me pretty hard. You have to find the balance in that work. Because once you lose that balance and you just go full on into it is such tough, stressful work. It's a slow grind. You're exposed to some of the toughest things. And you're expected to be able to handle it because you stepped up and decided to have the courage to actually be on the front lines but you are human just like everybody else is and it is taxing and it can disconnect you from other things that you love that you feel shouldn't have precedence over activism because of how hard-hitting activism is and I that was my ultimate takeaway from this article and from the relationship or lack thereof of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and LeBron James boom uh, that's 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 pretty well covered so Again, congratulations to LeBron James. Again, I'm not going to have the GOAT debate, but what I will say in, in regards to how impressed I am, LeBron James like decidedly went out there and knew that he was going to hit that milestone, which was 36 points, was what he needed. And I said this a couple weeks ago when I talked about Damian Lillard and why his 60-point performance was the most impressive I've seen with my own two eyes live and in person. I think synonymously what was so impressive about LeBron's performance was the ease that he did it with. He was 13 of 20 from the field. Yeah. Dame was 21 efficiency of 29. Efficiency. It's not like and not to, and again I'm I'm doing my best to not compare but like Kobe he showed in his last game ever that he had the will and the mentality to go for 60, but he had to take 60 shots. Yeah. LeBron went out there and he went for 36, but like it took little to no effort for him to be able to go out there and do that. And at 38 years old, that's damn impressive. Yeah, he's that's damn an impressive. Absolute alien. <laughs> he's an absolute alien. The you 
you the very first thing that you need is high pressure, high level longevity in the NBA for multiple decades to start thinking about even eclipsing that. So it's never going to happen, really. Yeah, because the I guys, don't, I don't see it. Happen. The guy's physique, not in his, my lifetime. His, his conditioning is the best. He's probably the best conditioned athlete in the world. Yeah, maybe outside of like a Floyd Mayweather, but even still, maybe, maybe, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> who knows? It's crazy. Yeah. And so. Yeah, to me, he's not the goat. I, I mean, he's he's one of the goats. He's Mount Rushmore for sure. He's LeBron James. LeBron man. James, baby. He's LeBron James. He's LeBron bro. James, man. Like I we said, I'm not see, gonna have the goat debate. We get to see, but I do want to acknowledge he's damn I impressive. Don't, I don't even care. <laughs> we got to, I've gotten to see one of the greatest like artists in the his, in the history of my lifetime. You know, what I'm saying pure artistry, uh, engineering. The guy is. Is equal parts like Leonardo da Vinci and like you know uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. Like the dude is a straight up master of this game that is just so. It requires so much thought and heart and toughness and will. It's like what he does on the basketball court. You're absolutely right. Getting 36 off 13 to 20, mad efficient. It's like it's masterful. It's masterful stuff. And I I, I just enjoyed every second of it. And I'm. I've never been a LeBron hater. Yeah. I've always been. You know why? Because I'm a basketball fan. My homie Chauncey said, he said, he, we were hanging out yesterday. He goes, if you're not a fan of LeBron James tonight, you're not a fan of basketball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Straight up. Straight yeah. up. That's the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. I am a fan of LeBron James. It's, and I, again, I've been somebody who has been on other sides of the GOAT debates and many other debates when it comes to LeBron James than the side of LeBron James. This week, I'm 1,000% on the side of LeBron James in any conversation you want to have because the feat that he was able to accomplish and what he's been able to accomplish over the last 20 years has been that damn impressive and it's still counting. And he's and gonna and and all of that. <laughs> it's still and all counting. Of that, and he's not gonna win a championship this year, no matter what. That who's win, who's winning it? Let's just transition. It's trade deadline time, and a lot has changed. Who's I'll winning it? Straight up, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't no either. Idea, bro. It's going to be so yeah. fun. After the All Star break, it's, it's about, about to, to be, be. It's about to the be wild, a funky wild good time. West, bro. Yeah, it's gonna be the OK Corral out here, bro. It's about to get wild. It's gonna get nuts. I can't wait because think about this, dude. I'll, I'll tell you this: Phoenix or Dallas seems to be the favorite. Bar only because the Lakers. I just. They always have such a hard time putting stuff together. Even the bubble year, like that was a stroke of luck that they were able to do that, you know, really. Uh, so they always have a tough time putting it together. But Dallas and Phoenix, that seems like whoever whoever wins that series is going to come out of the West mm. to me. Um just because, I mean, I don't, dude, I don't know. I'm just Denver saying. is number one. Let's in the start here. Let's start here. Uh, let's just, let's just, is still let's Steph. just tie it into the trade deadline. Damn, let's tie it into the trades that damn. took place before uh, the deadline. Dizzy. The biggest one I think is Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns, and I think that automatically makes the Phoenix Suns the favorite in the Western Conference. I still uh, yeah. don't think that's the yeah. case in the league. I still think that they can be defeated by the Bucks or the and Celtics. or the Celtics. Yeah. Um, but in the Western Conference in particular, that move, which to me has been the splashiest move out of a lot of splashy moves and just a lot of moves, moves in general that took place before the trade deadline, 
was Kevin Durant going to Phoenix, and I think that they are now the favorites in the Western Conference, and we haven't had a clue on who the favorites of the Western Conference has been all season well, look, long. Some people are the narrative has Denver. been that the Western Co- – some people would say that, but I think the ultimate well, I just, narrative – I don't want to take them out of the conversation. I'm not, no, no. I, there's, I mean, it's more than them in the conversation, but I think the general consensus has been that the West is wide open. Yes. Even with them having the best record in the Western Conference, the general consensus this entire season has been that the Western Conference is wide open. I mean, I seen CJ McCollum take like a joking jab at John Morant. Like, John Morant, this is your fault because John Morant has been impressors (laughs) saying he ain't worried about nobody in the West. And while you would, some may consider it cocky, most is like, yeah, because it's wide open. Like, you're kind of right, John Morant, because it's wide open. It ain't wide open when you got four all-star caliber players on one team. I think you – obviously, three of them in Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and KD, and Aiton's an all-star caliber player when he's playing at his best. We've seen it time and again, and <laughs> I, I just think that is what it is. There's they so become much. the favorites in the West to me. Damn, there's so much. And it just is what it is. It's going to be so sweet to watch. I Every don't, night's going to be – you can't miss it. Yeah, the NBA is about to be super lit. Um, I think another big trade, obviously, has been Kyrie Irving going to the Dallas Mavericks. Him and Mavericks. Luka are going to be a problem. They're going to be a problem. They're going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think that it, move – which took place before puts Kevin them, Durant puts left. Them over the top. I don't think it changed the narrative of the West is wide open once that move was made. I still felt the West was wide open when that move was made. It put but a day later into the conversation but, of the top. Yeah, but a, a couple days later, when Kevin Durant showed up in Phoenix, I said, "Yeah, they're the favorites. It's not wide open anymore. Anybody that has to go through them, healthy, of course. Good luck. <laughs> like, like, go. good luck. You're not the favorite." In my eyes, I just don't see anybody having to go through them Kevin being Durant the favorite in and, my eyes. Chris Paul I didn't have that feeling. I didn't have that feeling when Devin Kyrie Booker. went to the Mavs. I didn't have that feeling. But I had the feeling they're going to be DeAndre, fun to watch. They're going to be Dan, dangerous. And TJ Warren in that lineup, which is not too shabby. I mean, yeah. that is a f- that's a good it's a favorite. It's a favorite in the Western really Conference good, is what bro. it is. I yeah, didn't consider the Dallas good. Mavericks a favorite when Kyrie got traded there. I just didn't see it that way. This was absolutely different. Yeah. Um, let's let's go local, man. The Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, I knew it was coming. I mean, people are pissed, Devon. People are pissed, man. And I'll just cut straight. Are, to is, the- are people pissed or are you pissed? No, I'm not. I'm not pissed. Man, I've listened. Man, I'm true to this, not new to this, okay? I've been deep in these trenches my entire life. I'm not worried. Nothing phases me. It's fine. I know exactly what they did. Look, I mean, you have to understand that, you know, Joe Cronin, I I won't start there. Um, The Blazers didn't have a lot of wiggle room. They have more wiggle room now. There are certain things. I'm just going to look at the positives. Wasn't that the case last year, though, going into the offseason? Because they they paid everybody all this money that sucks. I mean, I'm saying last year we said that they had the wiggle room. From a capital standpoint, well, Joe Cronin, but nobody is, showed up. That uh, Joe Cronin is not. I mean, even if he is like a, a a revelatory GM, I mean, he's still young. Yeah, you have to understand about this game, bro. It's siege warfare out here. Tra- come trade deadline, it's it's firing cannonballs at each other, and and that's where you have to have experience 
and sort of guile in the game. Joe Cronin just doesn't have that. He doesn't know these people like that. He hasn't had countless phone calls with these dudes where he can start, you know what I'm saying, really cutting to the quick of dudes and shit. He can't do that. Yeah. So he's going to get rocked every time he gets into those waters. The lead, But when... What you got to do there is you got to do like you got to get on your Cold War espionage tip. You got to try to, you know, what I'm saying backstab people and, and and make other teams worse that are in, you know, what I'm saying that are in contention with you if you can. Instead of being like, okay, here's Gary Payton, you know, Gary Payton the second. We gave we basically you we fronted you Gary Payton for you to get him back yeah. so you could go move James Wiseman and then get the five second round draft picks back from somebody else that we're going to take from you. Like that's, I mean, it's like, come on, man. Yeah. Now Matisse Tybel, better player than Gary Payton outside of what's in his head. You know what I'm saying? You can't compare the mental games of those two largely because I don't really know who Matisse, you know what I'm I don't yeah. feel like I know who Matisse is inside. So that's a, 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 a incremental on paper upgrade. Cam Reddish is another young flyer that could be really good. I don't know why we're still playing that game, especially yeah. when you have Damian Lillard standing, staring you in the face, yeah. averaging 30,000 points a game or whatever. <laughs> and, and ultimately, and I'll say this, this might, you know, whatever, but I think that you just, after today, you just now just itty-bitty cracked the door for Dame to, to leave and not be a blazer for his entire career. You just cracked it okay that's what i think okay well i know many people are coming here to hear my stance on gp2 um with our relationship um i ultimately think this was best case scenario for him going back to the golden state warriors yeah for him individually oh. i'm not speaking from a blazer fan uh, dude, i'm just speaking from he's a- the happiest man the <laughs> Look at, hey hold up and this, oh, i want to say this is where this is guy. where gp this is where gp really messed the game up though now after today all the you californians are going to think that you're owed 28 million dollars just have to spend a winter in portland <laughs> and i'm like god it's it's ruined now <laughs> Sunshine boys are going to come out here looking to get paid up for one winter. All right. Carry on. But, yeah, I just think it was best-case scenario for him, man. Not that, you know, this was a bad scenario, him being able to get $28 million to play for the Blazers, an organization that he had familiarity with. But I don't think it's any secret that after having won a championship with a team, you want to play for that team and try to defend that title. Like anybody with a competitive bone in their body wants to be able to do that. But this ain't just about the purity of the sport. There's a business element to the sport as well. And what the Warriors couldn't offer, the Trailblazers were able to offer. And he went and he took the money, which, again, Nothing out of bounds about that. You go to where you can get paid, especially when you're 30 years old and you don't have a bunch of long-term contracts to look forward to like somebody that's 10 years younger than you in the league that has a few significant contracts that they can be able to look forward to if they max out their potential, which is what everybody only works to do. So now you're in a situation where you didn't play majority of the season in Portland a lot of people started kind of putting smut on your name because they felt like, you know, the way that the the reporting was done in regards to him coming back and him just not wanting to play and be a part of this team, whatever it is that you may feel. And then you're able to get traded back to the team 
to whether it's about defending the championship or not is one thing, but to be able to go back to the team that you won a championship with, I think is pretty cool, especially with the recency he won that championship with them, which was just some months ago, not even a count, not even a full year ago. And you still able to go back with that guaranteed three-year, $28 million contract that that team would have offered you had they been able to at the time that you got this offer from the Portland Trailblazers. So for him, it's best-case scenario. I'm happy for him. I think the Bay is meant for him more so than the Portland Trailblazers were. I'm not saying that in a in a way of knocking Portland. I'm just saying that in a way of it's hard to knock a guy for going back to a team yeah, no, I'm, that I'm he happy. won a championship I'm, with I'm and, and, and knock him for being happy about being able to go back to a yeah, team money, that he man. just won a championship yeah. with and having gotten his money in the process and to be able to get back with that team so quick. It's something that's rare. Yeah. It's something that we don't see often. He's a rarity in that People. regard. And you know what? The business worked out in his favor this time and around, and I'll never complain about I mean, that people, for people, anybody, people, any player. You know how people are, man. I mean, even Kareem said it in his uh, article. He was like, "I'm not my success is not, uh, you know, withholding to this other man's success. Like my shit is in a vacuum. Another man can have success, and it won't affect me. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. so Gary Payton the second, you know, going to get his money is." And having being able to live his life the best way that he wants to, that's great. That's cool. That's a great thing. <laughs> yeah, that's super and cool. Portland needs to just, you know, dust the rain off of their jackets and then it's sunny outside. Go outside, take a walk, go to Laurelhurst Park or something, chill out. It's gonna be all right. Don't trip too hard. And just know that even if ultimately Dame bounces, it's like that's just another man living his life too, bro. Okay. Like you can't yeah, look at yeah, just Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Yeah, and him being loyal and is and him living his life at, because that's just his character. And don't and don't Yeah, but I mean loyalty is lo- everybody knows what time it is with loyalty. At least you should if you've been alive this long. Like love don't last forever, baby. It, it, you know, sometimes it don't last forever. And sometimes you just got to be an adult about it. And just, you know what I'm saying? Stop calling. Stop texting so much. <laughs> Stop hitting my phone up. Stop playing on my Real phone. Real quick, who who do you think won today from an organizational standpoint? And who do you think? The Lakers, the, the Suns. Deep dove off of a cliff. The Lakers, the Suns, and the Mavericks clearly won. Now, the Bulls, yeah. the Raptors, the Nets, I mean, they lost. I mean. I think that's where I would agree with you on the teams that won. I think the Nets took the biggest L for Yeah, me. the Nets got absolutely rocked. But, I mean, that's what happens when you lose two generational talents. Three. Because Harden was one of those. Yeah, but that's not this year. It's I'm not just, this year, know. but I think it, yeah, it, it I think that the, the legacies are connected because you once had all three of those guys together. Yeah. And the way they that, – that, that organization was so dysfunctional for so many reasons, and I feel like they blessed a lot of the league, and they, to me – look the worst in regards to how an organization should function and based on the success that they should have reached on paper that they weren't even close to reaching. They only won one playoff series with all of those dudes. Here we are sitting here right now talking about how much of a difference those dudes are going to make for the Mavericks and for, for the those Suns. guys fresh out but, the gate. It was just too much for them, I think. But but so like I'm who has sympathy? A, I, I'm who not has giving them an excuse. Who has sympathy for that? I'm not giving <laughs> yeah. them an excuse. Yeah, but it's, but it's like, like so? listen, you guys, you own the team. You just got a bunch of picks, 
Now it's time to see if you can do this from the ground up. For sure. So go ahead. For sure. I mean, and and I think that leaving an organization there in that sort of uh, position is is not terrible, but it's not good, especially right now, because, you know, there's so many great, great players that are not going to be here. Like they have under 10 years of playing left. Yeah. Five to 10 years. Yeah. And then it's all going to, the board's going to be flipped completely. So this is when you're going to strike, if anything. Yeah, yeah. I, I think they, they took the deepest dive downward is the Nets. But I do think the teams, I agree with you on the teams that you said had the most success. Um, hopefully Westbrook plays basketball again someday. Who knows? He may or may not, but he's out of there in L.A. as well. That's another big one. Lastly, real quick, taking L's, who you got? Portland fans. Stop crying. Get off Twitter and stop crying. It's fine. You guys take L's, dude. Stop taking <laughs> L's, Portland Twitter. Like, come on, man. I, I it does. I don't know why. Matt, Twitter's not a real place, so it doesn't matter. But <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. Well, the fans are real people. Yeah, so. they're real people. They're yeah, real. Yeah, the people. fans are real. And people. you know, I think there's a general level of optimism. I mean, look, how can you not be optimistic regardless of any situation when you have Dame Lillard out there playing the way he plays? Yeah, it's pretty sure. spectacular. So for yeah. sure, yeah. Uh, my elk this week goes to Chris Brown. Um, Chris Brown basically knocked oh, yeah. uh, Robert Glasper, who we predicted, by the way, would win this category. It was R&B album of the year. And Robert Glasper won that with Black Radio 3. We did back in November when uh, the – Nominations came out for who got nominated for the Grammy yeah, this year. We smoked those predictions. We smoked Go check those that predictions, out. by the way. So it was the November 18th episode, to be exact. I don't remember the title of it, but that was the date. So go and check the predictions there because we smoked them, by the way. We did pretty well. Um, but Robert Glasper, we actually both agreed would be the winner of that album. And Chris Brown, once Robert Glasper won the album, basically publicly claimed, came out on social media asking who Robert Glasper was, which for me was, for one, it's just some general hate in there. Just congratulate the guy for winning if you're somebody in that category, especially when it's two black guys. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I understand the Grammys have been out of touch racially over the years. So that's one thing. But it's like if both of us are, are brothers here and one brother won over me, like, congrats to you. Two, I just think it speaks to, like, if you don't know who Robert Glasper is and you consider yourself R&B, like, I, I question – who you are from a musician standpoint, obviously from an entertainment standpoint and as a singer, Chris Brown is Chris Brown, but there's also a machine behind Chris Brown and he could have gotten pushed so far along from that machine that he lost touch with more of the grassroots type of artists in that particular lane that are having mad success or even underground, if you want to call it that. And Robert Glasper is somebody who would kind of meet more of that category because he's not necessarily considered a mainstream artist. But if you come from that world, you know that it doesn't get much bigger and much better than Robert Glasper in that world. And if Chris Brown has gotten so far detached from that world that he had to make a comment like this, I think he's got to sit with himself <laughs> for a little bit and get tapped back into that world that that was the the launching point for him to ultimately become the megastar that he became, the pop star that he ultimately became. Like, you started in R&B, bro. You didn't start 
in this pop world, if you will. And don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever lose touch with that. And this felt like a moment where he exposed himself as somebody that became so big of a star that he lost touch with where he came from because Robert Glasper is indeed that dude. That's the thing. Hey, everybody needs to get to thinking about that for a second. For sure. You know what I mean? Just for losing sure. touch. That... Mm. Stay in touch, baby. Stay in touch. touch, Kareem is another one. Stay Stay in in touch, touch, man. man. Stay in touch. (laughs) On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go go win. win.